We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human! Okich. Oh, he's mother that chicken! He's mother the chicken! Well, you got it sitting in the face, and I think that's terrific. This is a Rocket Room production. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Setting the Pace here live. We are on Locker Room app, and we are joined by our former co-host that was with us for a while. Got to start it off, and does a great job for any sports legends, Tyler Smith. Tyler, what's going on, man? Hey, I'm just hanging out here at Banker's Life. Uh, the fans have left, but it, it doesn't sound much different than when the game was going on. It's pretty quiet, <laughs> pretty quiet here for the Blue and Gold fans tonight. Uh, wolf, Fachi, what's up, brother? Yeah, you know, it really did feel like uh, a quiet night. I mean, Alex, I even saw you had a tweet saying. Pacer Nation felt quiet on Twitter, and it really did. I mean, the pulse of the, of the fan base today was pretty dead. I'd say six feet under because right after that first quarter, the Bulls never really looked back, and the Pacers were playing catch-up for the rest of the game. felt like bodies were uh, dropping left and right, and, you know, we almost by, I'd say, maybe the, the start of the third quarter had to really look towards the upcoming game against Minnesota. Well, and one thing that's kind of shocking to me yeah, it felt like people were pretty active on Saturday night against the Spurs. Oh, yeah. And, and the Pacers won, so you thought maybe two days off. Fans would be excited to watch a team again, especially the same group that went out there and played pretty well against the Spurs, but it just felt like a ghost town. I'm not I'm not sure if it was the nice weather outside or what's going on, but it was just it was not fun, and I can't blame fans for not wanting to tune into the night's game because it was pretty ugly. And uh, I went out for a little walk during halftime, came back in about a minute into the third quarter, after walking my dog, and I saw we were down like 20 points, and I was like, what just happened? Uh, Tyler, you were there tonight. How did it look just on the court? I mean, it was rough, especially when Miles went down. Uh, mm-hmm. Just whatever life that, that was, you know, on the court, in the stands, was just completely sucked away. And uh, I also mentioned on, on Twitter, it seemed like a 50-50 split even with uh, Bulls fans and Pacer fans. They always travel well anyway, but – that did not help as far as the energy in the room, and the Pacers dropped to I believe eight and fifteen at home now. So it's been a a weird season for many reasons, but that's probably up there as one of the weirdest. Yeah, you know I really do fear that that home winning streak. I think it's going to come to an end. Just because it's been going on, I believe thirty one years, thirty one straight years of winning record at home, and I just I find it hard to believe the Pacers are just going to turn it around and you know, start protecting home court as if they're the Utah Jazz right now. No, it's it's rough. And I apologize if my voice sounds terrible, guys. Uh, it was around the second quarter. I was eating dinner, and all of a sudden I got, like, the worst hiccups. 
that I've ever had in my life probably went on for like 12 minutes and it literally put like a frog in my throat that I can't get out, uh, get out of it. So um, I, I sound a little bit weird tonight, but yeah, Fachi going, going back to that, it just, this team, I, I don't know what it is. It's like, we can use the injury excuse, but I just feel like there, there's some kind of chemistry that's not there. And I've heard some different people talk about it and they talk about whenever we traded Oladipo for Levert, that's when things kind of started getting wonky. And for me personally, I, I think the biggest thing is, like, even though we knew Oladipo was more than likely going to get moved and that he wasn't going to resign, there was still that level of comfort with him because he had been with the team for the past couple of years. Uh, I think that when you move on from a guy like that and you bring in a new guy like Levert, who has played a totally different style than these guys are used to playing and isn't really familiar with these guys, uh, that's why you're starting to see some of these struggles and. I was I was a little bit worried tonight because Levert made those comments on Saturday about there being more floor on there more, more space on the court and things like that. But their half court offense just looked atrocious tonight, Fachi. Terrible, uh, honestly, uh, Tyler. I know you mentioned you know kind of in the third quarter when Miles went hurt, uh, got hurt that the wind was kind of sucked out of the building. But I felt like just before halftime when Tyler Sadoransky hit that three pointer. And then the Pacers followed up with a turnover. And then, you know, they went into the halftime. They looked lifeless. I mean, it looked like the expressions on their face just looked like, let's just get to the locker room. And, and then they came out lifeless. So there was really nothing going on tonight for the Pacers. I mean, across the board, it, it was pretty gross. I thought Sumner had some bright spots of just being really active. Lavert's numbers on paper looked good, but he, it felt like he disappeared. For a, a, quite a while, nine points early on, and then I felt like it was just the second quarter. I didn't see much of him, and then eventually he ends up with twenty. But it, it just looked like they never really were in this game outside of that first quarter. Tyler, any thoughts on all that? Yeah, I agree. They had uh, see twenty-one points in the second quarter, twenty-five in the third, twenty-three in the fourth. I mean, that's just not going to cut it in today's NBA. I mean, it was. You mentioned how. Uh, you know, the lack of energy and it's just been confusing because again, and, you know, not to continue to talk about the home road splits, but they go on the road and they play with passion and energy. They're tied with the most uh, for the most road wins in the Eastern conference. And it just looks like they want to be there and maybe part of it is just the travel and, you know, getting away, but then they, they come to this building and it just disappears. You know, uh, mm -hmm. they, they've not won two in a row at home since the first couple games of the season uh, here at Bangers Life. That is just a pretty pretty crazy stat. That is a crazy stat. And speaking of stats, J. Michael just tweeted this out. I know it's probably not super relevant since the Pacers are still struggling to get into the playoffs, but he said the Pacers won the first game in all their series with Boston, Chicago, Charlotte, New York, lost the next two in each to lose the season series tiebreaker. If it comes to that, and I think that's a big thing to look at just because – you know, like this team still, like if they won like four or five in a row, they could easily be right back in that playoffs, like right in the playoff line. And it's it's one of those weird seasons where the standings are so jumbled up right now. Like surprisingly, Chicago's below us still, I believe. And I mean, without, you know, four starters essentially, um, with Miles going out in the second half, like I don't expect this team to be beating a team that just added Vucevic and they have Zach Levine and they've got really good veteran players on their roster. I mean, Chicago is still a team that's trying to figure themselves out. But overall, I just think this Pacer team injuries have been a problem. I think the system has been a problem for a lot of these players. I don't think a lot of these players fit this system uh, particularly well. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's just when you are missing your best players on the court, whether you think they should keep one over the other or not, when you're missing your most talented players, it's hard to win games in the NBA. I mean, am I, am I off beat there, Fachi? No, you're not, and I think that's part of what took a lot of the fan base out tonight was it was like Malcolm Brogdon's missing another game. Oh, now Sabonis. And then it was just like – it was almost like, well, you should be happy to get Jeremy Lamb back. I feel like a lot of people were like, oh, Lamb's coming back? <laughs> <laughs> and that shouldn't be the instance, but, you know, that's kind of how it felt. And it just felt like, sure, like with a healthy Brogdon, Sabonis, and Miles Turner – the Pacers probably do win this game. But, you know, for anyone who thinks like, oh, you know, Domas is the issue when he's out, the Pacers play better. I mean, oh, my God. Tonight was a night where they got crushed on the rebounds. I mean, the Bulls end up finishing 
57 rebounds to the Pacers, 33. I mean, a massive difference. But in the first half, it was 10 offensive rebounds to zero for the Pacers. The Bulls had 10 more shots in the first half. Those are major differentiators right there that it, it's what gave the Bulls the extra boost. And for the Pacers, oh, my God. I mean, we know they're a bad rebounding team, but it can't be like this. This, this was terrible. No one in the Pacers finished with more than six rebounds tonight. Wow. <laughs> well, Tyler, let me ask you this. Why is this team struggling so much on the glass? Um, I, I wish I knew. I mean, in, when we asked the players about it in the Zoom sessions, you know, they're kind of, uh, kind of befuddled themselves. And they, they talk about, you know, if we would have, if we would had answers to something like that, we would have fixed the problem. Um, but they recognize that it is an issue. I mean, some of it's got to be scheme with pulling guys out, you know, trying to force turnovers out high a little bit. Um, but, you know, you mentioned some of the personnel is just not, not a whole lot of, uh, you know, good rebounders on the squad and, um, but you know, as Fachi was talking about, that's a that's a ridiculous uh, difference. Um, Fifty-seven, thirty-three. I mean, it's you, you just don't see it very often. And you know, this team doesn't have to completely out rebound uh, teams to win, but they they obviously have to close the gap uh, more than that. Okay, so I'm going to ask this question because I think it's going to continue to keep happening on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I think Pacer fans are kind of ready to embrace a tank. Fachi, are you ready to embrace the tank? I know we've talked to different people, and there's been people that are very adamant that we should not tank, but do you think that it would be smart to embrace the tank? Here's the thing. If we're going to tank, we're not going to tank right. We're going to end up with, like, the eighth overall pick, the, looking at the Frank Nilakinas, the Kevin Knoxes of this world. I just think that – We're not the would, Knicks. I know, but those players, they're, they're not good. And maybe they could have been good, but the Knicks killed them or whatever it is, that eighth spot is such a just – it's such a toss-up. If you're not in the top five in the NBA, it's tough. I mean, of course you can find talent outside of it. It's one thing if you're going to go all in on the tank. But it, but like you mentioned before, with Eastern Conference standing still being so close, it hurts because what are we doing? We're one foot in. We're one foot out. It's like you win a game, all of a sudden you're like, hey, we might be able to get home court in the first round. You lose a game, and it's like I can't watch this anymore. You know, we need to just throw it in. So I don't know what it's going to take. It feels like the next losing streak of three games or more, and I think I think the fan base is going to be out on this year and embracing the tank. I don't want to do it just yet, but a night like tonight, we looked lifeless. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much already out on this season. I kind of was as we went into it. I, I hate to say that. I tried to be optimistic as we started the year, and I started playing well. I said, okay, Maybe they're going to be better than I thought, but I just always thought with the Oladipo thing lingering over their head, with the talks of trading Turner in the offseason, that not happening, I just felt like 2020, 2021 is going to be a very odd season for the Pacers. But I didn't expect the T.J. Warren injury to happen. That's been just huge because there's so many games that they've lost that they've been close in that I think he would have made the difference. And you're talking about a team that probably could have been you know, record-wise flipped with wins and losses. Not saying they'd be – significantly higher in the wins column, but they could be flipped. So it's it's hard for me to sit here with T.J. Warren not coming back from the playoffs, for them not making a move at the deadline. <sighs> to me, it's just I'm I'm not embracing a tank, but I'm not embracing uh, uh, getting into the play-in game and then, you know, basically doing what the Pacers did when they had Dunleavy and Murphy. I just – I'm not a fan of that. But, Tyler, I want to get your thoughts. Are you a fan of throwing it in this season? Yeah, I've kind of – been that way the last three or four weeks. Um, and part of the problem is the way the East is constructed right now, they'd have to be at least a five seed to have any shot in the first round. Yeah, I agree. And even though that's, that's still, you know, statistically within reach, there's so many teams, you know, in front of them that they'd have to go on a pretty big hot streak the rest of the way to get that high. So if you're going to have a very slim chance of winning the first round anyway, you know, it may not be the full on tank, um, that you were talking about, but, uh, you know, you, you can find opportunities if, if a guy has uh, got a, a little bit of an injury. Obviously, we've got some serious ones going on, but um, if a guy's got a tweak, you can sit him out. You can, uh, you know, see what you can do. Obviously, you're not trying to lose if you're a player or a coach. Um, the one thing that's risky is if you lose most of these games the rest of the year to try to have much momentum going into the offseason. You know, that's not an easy thing to do and, and to kind of sit with, especially for a first-year coach. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that if they go in and, and they can secure that, you know, eighth or ninth pick compared to the, you know, 12th, 13th, 14th pick, uh, it could be a pretty significant difference. You never know. Uh, there's some people that think the draft is deep this year and others think it's only, you know, top heavy. So a lot could happen from now to then, but I would say maybe a, maybe a soft tank should be on, on hand. Yeah. I think they might just lose their way into a tank without trying to. Um, personally, I, I, I think this team is fine. But I just think that the way they've been playing, it's just so inconsistent. One night, a really good offensive performance. The next night, it's great defensively, but bad offensively. Then they're bad on both ends sometimes. It's just there is no consistency with this team, and I feel like this team has zero identity. But we've got four people in here uh, listening with us on uh, Locker Room App, and so if you guys want to chime in, uh, just request to speak, and we'll have you guys come on and uh, let you ask us any questions that you might have about this team or bring up any Topics of discussion, we'd love to hear from you. So I know me and Thomas were talking before the show, but, you know, Steve, uh, Dan, or Anthony, if you guys want to join us, we'd love to have you on. But uh, while we're waiting to see if they want to join, Fachi, was there anything else that you wanted to bring up about tonight? I would just say, I mean, when you talked about being inconsistent, how in the world did the Pacers just drop 139 points on the Spurs and then come out this flat? I mean, just to throw a quick stat out there, they had 72 points in the paint against San Antonio. I mean, they I guess they came down came back to reality with just 44 points in the paint tonight. But I mean, where does that where does the difference come? That another from the other night. I mean, it was a big difference. The one positive that I saw was at least Nate went to a full roster pretty early on. 11 guys got to touch the court by basically the 10-minute mark in the second quarter. So at least it was one of those games where the starters didn't stay in overly long. I mean, on a night like tonight, I don't think anyone cracked 30 minutes. So that was really the only bright spot. And O'Shea Brissett had his first uh, basket as a pacer. That I like. Oh yeah. yeah, more yeah. O'Shea. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm all I'm all for that, Tyler. Yeah, I was surprised he didn't get in earlier. I think he only played the last couple minutes. Agreed. But... Two forty-four. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah no, I thought around the five or six I'm, minute mark, I was looking for him. Two forty four on a ten day contract. That's that's uh, the way to get an evaluation, right? Well, yeah. So let's talk about that. A ten day contract. Usually, they do it to guys that play well in the G League. They want to re- uh, reward them and give them some extra money. But to me, it's like if this is a guy that really fits that bill of what you want in the player, why not give them an opportunity to showcase their skills? That doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. I mean, I felt like, you know, I, it's hard to really judge off two minutes, 44 seconds. But, you know, he had a rebound. He had a steal. He had a dunk. Uh, and then, I mean, are we supposed to go off that? I mean, this was the perfect game to put him in for longer than that. I mean, Keelan Martin played well the other night. He did. But 13 minutes night to O'Shea's, you know, under three. It's like, eh. You know what? I would have liked to have seen O'Shea a little bit more than that. You guys ever wonder if that comes from the from the top a little bit in the organization? Because I feel like it's – three straight coaches now that uh, don't really play the young guys, uh, you know, in, in situations like that especially. But I don't know. It's been kind of confusing the last several years. I don't know because it was weird seeing Vucevic out there with, you know, an 18-point lead with two minutes left in the game. I'm like, what What are they doing? Like, we called a timeout ball our subs and, and they're keeping their starters in. I mean, were they afraid of another Jakar 10-0 run or something? You know what I mean? Like, I, I was kind of dumbfounded by that, but – I know Chicago is really just trying to get that chemistry down because they made a massive trade. And I think a lot of that is just trying to get that chemistry. We're we're experiencing that now with Karis LeVert. Just just his fit on this team. And quite frankly, the one thing I will say about LeVert that is a little bit hard uh, for me to really embrace him as that guy to replace Victor. I don't think I don't think LeVert is going to get to who Victor was in 17-18. He might get too close to that, maybe eventually, but He's been a part of a lot of losing teams. And, you know, when it comes to the Pacers, you know, they've been a team that's been in the playoffs the last couple of years. And if he's going to be their guy, guy down the stretch, I, I think there's going to be some growth from him. I'm not trying to overreact, but um, I think there's a lot of good things about his game. I just don't know if he is that guy that's supposed to be the Vic replacement. I think that they still need – a better go-to guy, but I do like his game. I just, 
I'm not in love with him as I go to guy. Am I overreacting, Fachi, or do you feel that way? No, there is no replacing 2017-2018 Victor Oladipo. There, there is not. That was a special season on both sides of the ball. If Levert can top out at being a one-time All-Star, that would be great because it seems like he's he's a good player, but so far we've seen him as a good player on you know not that great Nets team. And then, uh, you know, he was – he was actually having a, a really good five-game stretch without Kyrie Irving on there. So, you know, it feels like if Levert can, you know, just do what he can to get back to pure basketball form where it was before, maybe he can fit into this team as a really good third option when you have a healthy T.J. Warren, you have Sabonis in there, you know, you obviously have Malcolm Brogdon back. So uh, I, I think that that's probably going to be the sweet spot for him if he can be a really good third option. I don't think it's asking for too much. But you, there is no replacing 2017-2018 Victor Oladipo play on the court. Yeah, Tyler, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's really a tough situation because if you were to ask me about, you know, even making that trade and the circumstances that surrounded it, I still, 10 times out of 10, I'm still pulling the trigger on that, you know, even though Agreed. we know what happens to this year, but... I think Levert is going to be a better player than Oladipo the next couple of years. And obviously Oladipo wasn't going to come back anyway. So it's a good trade overall. I think the vision of this, the way this roster is currently constructed, they envision five guys on the court that can score, move the ball, not really rely on. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed you know, the one guy to take over. So you got Levert and Warren both and Brogdon playing well and, you know, Turbonis playing well. That's what they envisioned. Whether that would work, I really don't know. Um, it's not looking too promising right now. Um, probably, you know, it's a good chance this offseason Turbonis gets broken up finally or something, you know, along those lines happens. But I think that was their vision. I do agree that uh, they, they, they would need another playmaker, um, especially when you're down injuries and uh, – it's tough. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Yeah, so I want to get to some of our comments here. Dan says, great stuff, guys. We don't need to embrace uh, the tank. We just aren't good enough either way. Uh, Thomas said, I'm interested to see how Goga plays against Cat tomorrow. I think him starting will be good for his development. Fachi, do you think that uh, Goga getting a start uh, will be good for uh, for Goga's development? Without a doubt. I like what I've seen out of Goga lately. I think you'd have to be blind to say that he hasn't showed each person a little something night in and night out. Sure, we haven't had that, you know, you know, I mean, at the 18th overall pick, you're not going to expect him to be dropping 20 and 10 off the bench anytime soon. But 
you know, he's, he's a good player tonight. Kind of random six assists. I mean, we've seen the jumper look pretty good at times. Three blocks. I mean, this is someone who is flashing. I think with Miles Turner's ankle injury, let him rest. Why rush him back against Minnesota? I mean, at this point, if we lose another game, we lose another game. But there's a bigger picture here. Let's get Miles healthy and give Gogo the start. Let him play. I want to see him play 30 minutes. Yeah, he just got to stay out of foul trouble. That's what I'm worried about tomorrow. Uh, but but I think at the same time, like I think you posted it, Fachi, about him being as that Shaq out there when he had that nice little dunk. <laughs> I loved it. Loved he had that, that dunk. dunk in traffic. I, I loved it too. I mean, I know that he's still young and developing, and he's got a long way to go. But I love that aggression. I don't I don't see Miles or Domas really do that kind of power dunk in the post. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Sabonis might take off from the free throw line with some momentum, and same with Miles. But just a turnaround and dunk it. We haven't seen that since Andrew Bynum. Uh, it was in a Pacers uniform, and I know that didn't turn out well for the Ooh. Pacers. But those two, games. two games were great. Right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty great, and it was the stuff in the in the locker room that wasn't. But um, Steve here says Lavert is again on a losing team, so it should work. Going back to my comments about uh, Lavert's been on a losing team, so appreciate that insight. And then Jordan Elder comes in here and says he we need to we need to draft a strong uh, small forward in the draft and move Domas this offseason. He doesn't fit our playing style, so. My my biggest question here for you guys is this. Um, as we look at this whole Domas versus Miles thing, whatever side you're on, I, I, I'm completely open to hearing your thoughts. But one of the things to me is, like, if you think that Domas is the best player out of these two people between him and Miles, if you really think he is a better player, do you keep the better player and, and, and find the system that fits him? Or should you trade the better player and try to get more in return and keep the player that fits the coach's system better. So, Tyler, I'll start with you. Me and Fachi have had these conversations a little bit, but I want to hear your thoughts on that whole process. You know, I've kind of gone back and forth on it, and I really – the way I feel now um, is not the way I felt at the beginning of the season, and I don't want to overreact um, because you've seen it before where it takes a team, you know, a year or two to uh, figure out a new system and then things click. You know, that could be the case for this team, especially defensively. Um, but I, I'm kind of in the camp of putting both guys out there and seeing what you get. Uh, because if you're not getting very good offers, as they were not for Turner uh, this past offseason or maybe even at the deadline, and, and a guy like Sabonis can get you a really good wing, you know, that that may all of a sudden become tempting. You know, it would be really tough to trade a talent like him. He could very easily still end up being – kind of the face of this franchise moving forward that's tough that is that's a very I do not envy Kevin Pritchard's role um, but that's probably the first thing I would do is I would see what can I get back for these guys um, and I, I can see honestly I and in no circumstance could I imagine trading Sabonis before this year started but I do see the argument on that side of it playing a more modern style uh, the defense would probably give up 180 points a game if Miles wasn't in there um, so I can see benefits to both, but that's what I would do. See what you can get back. Fonchi, what are your thoughts? Man, Tyler had some great points there because here's the thing. It's like Miles Turner's trade value, I just I just don't think it's worth it. I don't think that you're going to get in return, you know, what you're giving up. I just think that you give up Miles Turner, this defense right now, it's, a, it all, it's already in the gutter. You give up Miles, you're going to get, you know, you're never going to get that same rim protection back. And before the year, I'm with you, Tyler. I, I could have never imagined a scenario trading Sabonis, and I still don't want to trade Sabonis, but I think you'd have to be lying to yourself to say that he wouldn't bring in a bigger package that could probably make this team collectively better than what Turner could bring in. So, uh, you know, Sabonis could end up being an all-star for years and years to come, but the Miles Turner trade package, it would not – I don't think it would make the Pacers much better at all where with Sabonis, you could play a different style, bringing in numerous pieces uh, if you unloaded them. But I don't even want those words to come out of my mouth. I would feel like a traitor. But it's just, it's, I, I, can't, I can't deny it. If, if you trade Sabonis, you could be looking at you know, multiple firsts and a good player. I mean, look, it's similar to, to the deal that, that the Bulls just had to give up for Vucevic. I mean, that was a solid deal. You know, talking about two first-round picks, uh, a former lottery pick, um, Otto Porter Jr. I mean, there was there was a whole bunch of pieces there. So I guess if they were going to have to move one of them, Sabonis would get you that bigger return where you could get better. 
Yeah, and quite frankly for me, like, I hear the arguments that, you know, our defense would look awful without Miles because a lot of people pointed to that Bucks game that we lost on that Monday night after winning back-to-back games in Miami. And then the Pacers go out and play the Spurs, and they gave up 133 points with Miles on the court over Domas. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's completely Domas's fault defensively for for what's happened, but I do think at the same time, clearly Miles is a better defender. Nobody's not, nobody's going to argue that. I'm not trying to argue that at all. But what I will say is, I think that this system doesn't fit Domas. For last year, I didn't it feel doesn't. like our defense. I didn't feel like our defense was nearly as bad with Dan Burke and Nate McMillan running the thing. So, quite frankly, if you want to play more modern style defense and, and do different things, then I understand why you'd be more trade Domas. But I think, too, with Domas, his offense, ha- to me, quite frankly, ha- has regressed a little bit over the it season. Has. He's, no doubt he's, about it. He's good at the basket, but he cannot shoot the ball. No. His three-point shot has fallen off. He doesn't even have a mid-range game Where anymore. is the mid-range? Like, it, it, he has to learn how to figure out his offensive game once again because he, he can pass the ball. He can set screens. He can initiate offense. He can get in the post and put pressure on opposing players. But it's like we pretty much have abandoned the mid-range game with Nate Bjorkren, and I think that's really hurts the bonus's overall play because he's just kind of taken that shot out of his game. And, and quite frankly, he's got to get better. Uh, being more of an offensive threat. And I think Turner on the same side of things, while he's not a great back-to-the-basket guy, he has got to, like, when he's playing against Vucevic, he's got to be able to take those slower slower centers against him to the basket. So I, I just think right now, um, you know, to me, Domas is fine. I like Domas a lot, but he's got a lot to work on in the offseason if he really wants to be, you know, a three-time All-Star or, or, or the best player on the team or – even the second or third best player in the team, I, I just, I just feel like what he brings to the team is important on the offensive end, but at the same time, he he's taking a step back. So, it's um, it's a good debate, and I'm not ready to make a decision yet because I haven't seen an, a large enough sample size with both of them at solo minutes. But I think if you move on from Sabonis and you don't get a great return, and the same thing for Turner, you're going to see their absence felt. Like when when Sabonis doesn't play, you feel it. Even if fans don't try to deny it, you do feel his absence. Same with Turner on the defensive end. When he does not play, you feel it. They had one good game without Sabonis in San Antonio, but look what happened tonight. Horrible half-court offense. Nothing was able to get done. And part of that's on Bjorken for me because he runs too much through Sabonis. He needs to find ways to get Sabonis involved without being involved in every single pick-and-roll dribble handoff. I'm rambling, but that's just how I feel, Flatch. No, I, I hear you on that. And now I'm starting to get worried of just how is it going to end because I feel like we're seeing the frustration on Sabonis' face, what feels like every single night, the complaining about the calls, maybe the, the lack of touches, maybe you know the rumors of was he chasing a triple-double or not. It's almost like, oh, I don't want to get to the point where are we going to have to try and get ahead of a trade before he wants one. I don't think that's going to happen now, but players are frustrated. I mean, we heard the, the comments from – uh, from Levert basically saying, you know, it doesn't seem like they're having fun. And yeah. I don't blame them. That's what losing does to you. I think it tears you apart. I think it kind of makes, you know, it makes everything just less enjoyable. And right now, that is exactly what these players are going through. You see the body language that it, it's just, it, it's it's wearing on them. It's wearing on us as a fan base. There has to be changes. We know the coaching staff was kind of, Felt like it was like thrown together almost last minute due to basically everybody leaving, except for Bill Baino, who eventually ended up leaving. Um, That's a big part of it to me. I mean, there was a lot of changes. All the coaches essentially gone. I mean, yeah. you're talking about a whole new scheme. Uh, it's There's been a lot. And then even the obviously the big trade that we talked about, Oladipo for Levert. I mean, the injuries to Warren, <laughs> there's been so much in and out that I don't I can't give Bjorkman a, a grade. But it obviously wouldn't be a good one right now, but I cannot give him a grade because it would be unfair. Yeah, and I, I want to go to this question here from Anthony Childress. He goes, is it just me, but it doesn't seem like the role of the assistant coaches are clear. They don't seem to engage with the players in-game, especially with this team not looking like they are connecting with Coach Nate. So, uh, Tyler, I mean, you're there at the game some. I know you have – have you been to every game? I'm not sure, but – um, I'm just I'm just curious your thoughts on what you've noticed. Is there a lot of interaction between the coaching staff and the players? 
Not a lot. I think he's got a good, good point there. And I'm actually pretty shocked because, you know, this is a, a longtime assistant guy that worked so well with Nick Nurse. And we heard so much about how that coaching staff uh, would, you know, share responsibility and have assistant coaches draw up plays. And I just personally haven't seen a whole lot of that. I've been to, I think, all but all but two of the home games. And, and I, I try to look for things like that. And, and uh, I think there's been a lot of buzz more recently on Twitter um, from fans that have really started to notice as well um, just how surprising it was that the Pacers did not bring in an assistant. Maybe they tried and, and just couldn't do it, but why didn't they bring an assistant that had lots of head coaching experience um, that could help work, you know, working along. Um, but yeah, to his point, I haven't seen a whole lot of interaction um, maybe behind the scenes stuff is fine. Uh, you know, the players still talk really highly of Nate and the coaching staff. Um, but for anyone who thinks that Nate is in over his head, maybe he is a little bit, maybe he needs a little more help on the staff. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it'd be a bad idea getting him an established, uh, assistant coach would be a bad idea. I mean, look at what Steve Nash did. I know Mike D'Antoni was a hot name here, but D'Antoni joined that staff. I think that he would just be somebody you know, somebody like that, someone that's got major experience, um, would, would be beneficial for this team. So I I don't know, but Fachi, all I keep thinking about is Dan Craig. I, I keep thinking how I much different him. would it be. I wanted him. him I and really did. Oh, Chauncey. man. Give I had a soft spot for Dan Craig. But it just also felt like there was a ton of these teams that were getting these, you know, potential head coaches as assistant coaches. When the Pacers grew, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to say anything poor about them, but it just felt like they kind of threw this coaching staff together, and it was like, oh yeah, like they're they're looking at him or they're looking at him. Uh, okay, sure, but you know, Anthony, I thought that was a great point because it feels like the assistants don't have an identity. And Alex, we've talked about it. This team doesn't have an identity. No. So what is it that the Pacers do well? This year, it's like uh, you know they're they're high in the league in assists. It's like what? That's not enough. I mean, it's it's just we're not playing defense well. Last year, they were third in opponents' point per game let up. This year, nineteenth. That's a huge drop off. Huge. Yeah. I mean, it, it's there's just really nothing that's going that well this year. They're still not getting the free throw line. They weren't doing it last year. They're a worse rebounding team than last year. I mean, it's like, yeah, we got a little bit better from three-point land this year, but we really couldn't get worse. So it, it just feels like that right now we're kind of stuck in the mode of, like, who are we and what are we What are we doing moving forward? Yeah, so I think moving forward is a great question. Obviously, Edmund Sumner has a team option. Pretty sure that'll get picked up. No but, brainer. But you've got two other free agents in TJ McConnell and Doug McDermott. Tyler, do you think they pick up one of two, two of two, or zero of two? In the offseason. I think one of the two will come back. Not entirely convinced which one it will be. And, of course, it's possible that they both come back. Um, I can't imagine both being gone, but, of course, that's as possible as well. But that's kind of an underrated thing when, when people talk about maybe this being the offseason that a big trade happens. You got those decisions to make. You hope to get TJ Warren back fully healthy, but that will be, I believe, his final year of his deal. So you're yep. going to have, you're going to have, uh, you know, kind of a wait and see, to make sure that he's healthy again, but how much, you know, how much of a contract are you willing to bet on him there? You know, when just a few short months ago, you know, bubble TJ, everybody was talking about, you know, how much he was worth. And there are so many questions to answer. The, the good news is there are still, Several good pieces here that you can work with if the right moves are made, but I do not envy the boys up top uh, the things, the decisions they have to make. Tough, just tough decisions to be made. I think the remaining games are, are going to answer a lot of these questions that we have. But what I will say is, after doing this for the last few years, you cannot bring this same team back to run it back. It, it's stale. <laughs> We've already done it. It's just not working out. Injuries are a part of the game. We cannot afford to re-sign McConnell and Doug McDermott for more money. Both those guys have outperformed the contracts that they're on right now, in my mind at least. And I think that you got you, ha you can't pay them for what they did 
You got to pay them for what they're going to do moving forward. I love TJ McConnell, but that, that this guy, I don't know where how he takes his game to the next level from here to the point where I wouldn't want to pay him double the money than, than what he's making right now. And Doug McDermott, shooters, they're a hot commodity in this league. It, it's hard. It's hard to find, you know, three-point shooters. They're they're coveted. And Doug McDermott, I think he's going to have offers to the point where I don't think the Pacers can go up to that, you know, $11, $12 million, you know, per year range. And if you do that, just like you mentioned, T.J. Warren, his deal's coming up. Edmund Sumner's deal is coming up. That, that, that's the end to Edmund Sumner right there for sure. Now T.J. Warren's being debated over there. I mean, you're already talking about, you know, Aaron Holiday's going to need a new deal soon. We don't even know what we're doing there. So I, I think there's a lot of questions, <laughs> but you cannot bring both those guys back. Maybe you bring one of them back, and we know if it's going to be McConnell, it's going to stunt the growth of Aaron Holiday moving forward. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I think that it's – I think that there's reasons you could bring McConnell back over McDermott. Mm-hmm. One, because of his locker room presence. And, it'll be cheaper and, too. Yeah, and it'll be cheaper. I mean, I just – to me, quite frankly, I just – as much as I love Kevin Pritchard and I like this front office, they're just great people. I'm worried that if this this team has another year like this year and they run it back – or run it close to back with the same core, I wonder how much pressure is going to be on Pritchard and his and his regime uh, next season. I mean, because at the end of the day, like, this team wants to get out of the playoffs. He's had, like, five years now to try to build this team up in 2017-18. I know he had a rough go there with Paul George requesting the trade, but to me, it's just like, you know, they've made moves throughout the years, and the moves have been somewhat impressive. Getting Brogdon, getting DJ Warren for what you got, you know, getting Bogey, getting Carlson, getting Thad Young in a trade. You know, I think that might have been Larry Bird, but it's just, it's just to me, it's just like I don't want to see him go. But like this Bjorkman hiring, how much is he attached to the hip with Bjorkman, or do we think that if it doesn't work next year, there's a chance that he can only last two years as a head coach and they go with somebody else? Because quite frankly, I. I do think that some, some, some one of those reports about the whole players being frustrated with the coaching situation with Nate Bjorkman, I think part of that's true. I don't know how much of it's true, but I think there is some frustrations with him as a coach. So, Tyler, I mean, do you think that if we have another season like this next year that he's gone? Oh, it's possible. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that would want that now. Of course, I don't see that happening, and, and I think that's always the easy thing to do you know, blame the coach when, when things are going well. Um, but, you know, you mentioned Pritchard and, you know, his staff, and it is going to be just an incredibly important year for so many people in the organization next season. You know, you've already got a lot of fans right now that not only kind of uh, are embracing a, a tank or a soft tank, whatever you want to call it, there's a lot of fans that are calling to completely blow it up because they just don't see this team – ever the way it's constructed being a, you know, deep playoff run type squad. You know, I'm, I'm probably not willing to go that far, but I do think it is time to make, you know, at least one big move, even though you'll be very nervous to make it. you got to try something. Um, cannot run back the exact same squad, hope for better results. Make a move or two, and then uh, if they do that and they make the right moves, there's enough here where things can change very quickly, but Next year, all the excuses go out the window. There's no more, or no more. You would think, you know, COVID excuses or, um, a, you know, another season of injuries. You got to build a deep enough team to sustain it. Um, so yeah, so much is going to be on the line. It's going to be very exciting, you know, for people like us that like to talk and write about the team uh, with the potential changes coming. But right now, not so exciting. Uh, but when you look to the off season, I think uh, be very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it will be. I think that, you, like I said before, you cannot run this back. And if you do, I think next year is going to be the make or break, blow it up or not year. Because I'm tired of, you look at this roster and it's like, the only thing you could say is like, oh, this is cute. Look, we got a bunch of high character, good people over here. You know, <laughs> it's like, that's that's not enough. That's not what we're going for. We need some dogs out there. I want to get more talented. I mean, we, we talked about it before, and it's just my dream. But, like, when the opportunity came around for Kevin Porter Jr. 
and, and he got traded for a bag of chips. I just thought I knew the Pacers wanted nothing to do with that at all. And I went, oh, this is such a talented guy right there that you could get for nothing. And I just feel like the Pacers haven't been taking that gamble in, in a while. And I think that they're, they pride themselves too much on being a high-class organization that does it right. And you know what? That consistently makes the playoffs. And then, you know, you're an early out. I think that they need to take a chance here. And with that, I think that the two-center lineup, you've, you've ran it for a while now. You can't make you can't just make something happen that is no longer a thing. So I, I think that you know if next year doesn't work out, could you really commit you know a ton of money to TJ Warren moving forward? I mean, are you still going to go with both bigs? It just feels like at that point the Pacers might have to finally look themselves in, in the mirror and just say, are we blowing it up or not? And you know we've never really seen them go full on you know tank rebuild, but. I don't even want to put myself in that mindset right now, but running it back completely the same could be worse. Yeah, and so Steve put a question here. So we can't run it back. Uh, we can't run it back, but with the mess, what do we even need in Nate's new system? Uh, does anyone know? And I, I wrote an article for Any Sports Legends this week and kind of highlighting the athletic players that Toronto has, like guys like Pascal Siakam, OJ Ananobi, then you got guys like Kawhi Leonard that was on that team, and Danny Green is a lengthy defender. Those are the type of guys that you really need in this system. And, and quite frankly, we just don't have that. Like, Sabonis, I mean, his wingspan is probably shorter than his height or right at the same. Like, he's not super athletic. Um, Brogdon's not super athletic. Like, he can still guard, but he's just not real quick. He's more of a, a skilled player, in my opinion. Very high IQ, like... He's got athleticism in some degrees, but he's just kind of slow, not quick, not twitchy. You know, TJ Warren a little bit, but like Sumner is someone that kind of fits that mold. Justin Holiday, but those are all guys that are bench players. They're not starter level players. So for me personally, that's what I want. So I know the Raptors are a, a bit of a mess this year with everything they've gone through, but I just feel like if you can get more athletes, that's what you really need with this team to be able to be effective and efficient in this style of offense. That's why, you know, if you do lose Turner, the defense is going to take a major dip. But at the same time, um, there's a lot of questions that have to be made. So, or answered, I mean. So it's it's a big it's a big decision. It's not easy. I, I'm really happy that I'm not, you know, the front office because whatever move you make, you're going to upset probably like 50% of the fan base if you move one of those guys. So, um, Tyler, do you have any thoughts on how this roster should be built? I agree with you about athleticism. You know, I'm surprised that they didn't find a way to bring in at least one athletic wing um, as far as what they were trying to do um, because everybody saw the writing on the wall that they were going to try to play similar to Toronto. And obviously they've had a ton of success, so you can see why. Um, one thing that really kind of confused me, I mean, I, I, I kind of expected it, but it still, still confused me is how not a single move was made at the deadline to take any direction whatsoever. You talk yeah. about being in the middle. It's like you're either going to make a move that has an eye on the future or you can make a smaller move where you can bring somebody in to, you know, kind of help with the with the depth. Um, there's got to be something out there that you can do that doesn't hurt the future but could help a little bit in the present. Either make that move or make the move for the future and do something, but the fact of them staying pat just because they, you know, won, you know, I forget who they beat. They, they beat a bad team, I think, and everyone's like, see, they're doing fine. And <laughs> like, no, it was, it was very obvious uh, that, you know, they're not going to go on some huge winning streak, especially with the injuries. So mm. forever in the middle ground, it seems. Yeah. yeah and and that's, that's the problem is just how did you stay pat at the deadline? Staying pat at the deadline felt like they were saying, we can get that eighth seed, you know, or we, we can get the seventh. You know? we'll, we'll be there. And it's like, what? what is that? You know, when when they cut Jalen McHugh and, and, you know, took the hit on the money, I mean, it's like a, a $1.5 million for the next few years. Uh, I, I thought, okay, they have a plan here. Is the, the plan a 10-day contract for O'Shea Brissett to play him two, two minutes and 45 <laughs> seconds? Tonight, I mean, there's got to be more to it. So I think that right now, I mean, sure, I didn't expect them to really make a, a big trade, but 
you know, are you really just going to let TJ McConnell and Doug McDermott walk now for nothing? And then is the worst part bringing them back? You know, it's like they were really just stuck. And it feels like they just kind of froze and, and thought, hey, if we can get this team back into the eighth seed, you know, fans will be happy. Unfortunately, that's not working for us anymore. We, we went through that. And it's like, Alex, I know you're related to the Orlando Magic. I hate putting myself in that category, but it's like – I mean, at, le- at least they went to the NBA Finals, you know, basically about a decade ago. They, they went for it. They had their shot. They blew it up. And it, it, right now, they're looking towards the future. I'm not quite ready for that. But at least the Magic knew when to pull the plug. I think the Pacers, unfortunately, do not know when to pull the plug. Well, they're never going to pull the plug. I don't think they will. Like Orlando. Um, what they're going to do is they're going to patch holes, you know. Slowly, yeah. It's like uh, it's like if you get a flat tire, they patch the hole instead of just replacing the tire. So it's it is what it is, and I know we talked about them getting stale a little bit. It, uh, it's a good analogy to that. It's like you know a box of cereal. <laughs> you know you, you have it for a while left in the pantry. You pull it out, you, you taste it, and you say eh, it's got a little bit of crunch still to it, but it's still not fresh. But it's good enough to still eat. That's kind of how I feel like with this roster. Like it's good enough, but it's not. It's not what you really want. So, quite frankly, I just I look at this Pacers team and I and I find myself having a hard time watching them every night. I, I've lost interest somewhat. I, I think that they're they're fine, but I just I just think that they have a lot of issues. And I'm not sure if Karras is a long term fit here. I'm not sure if Sabonis is. I'm not really sure if any of them are. And I think that's why you really have to take a long hard look at this team and just make a right move. Like I think Brogdon off ball is huge. Way better than on ball. Yeah, I think they need a legit point guard, and they can slide everybody down a position. I don't know who that point guard is. I don't know if there's one in the draft, you know, but they've got to figure out a way. Like, the guy that I've always talked about with you, Fauci, off air this past season, De'Aaron Fox. He's not going anywhere. He's not. But that's the type of player you need. Of course. I mean, he's not a great three-point shooter, but his ability to get to the basket, he's had some big games throughout his career. He's been on a bad team. You know, those are the kind of teams I look at so maybe you could pry a player away from, especially when they're just bad for so long. But, I mean, I mean I'm willing to throw the farm at him in a sense, like a player that we really covet plus like two or three years of picks just because I feel like that's the only way you're going to get better instead of like, oh, we're going to take this guy that's a fourth option on a playoff team and hopefully he can go here and be the first option. That's not ideal. I mean, no. you're you're literally asking players to be players – or play roles that they're not used to playing. So, quite frankly, I, I, I find myself wanting this team to succeed, wanting to root for these guys, but at the same time, knowing in the back of my mind that they're just not going to be good enough. And I'm not saying to win a championship. I'm just saying to be competitive in a playoff series. I, we, without T.J. Warren, this team is not going to be competitive in a playoff series. They might, if they play Miami, I think, be able to compete in a 4-5 matchup because – for some reason, they match up well with them this year compared to last year. I think losing Jay Crowder had a lot to do with that, surprisingly, uh, just because of his ability to play that small ball four and hit threes. We really struggled against that. I think we did a better job of uh, defending the three this year than we used to. But all in all, I just I just feel like, you know, I'm, I'm rambling here again, Tyler, but I just feel like this team right now is just fine. But whenever you hear the words fine, you know that it's not me. I like I like Fauci's usage of the word "cute" in this scenario. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a cute, it's a cute team, cute team you got there. <laughs> exactly, you can't even argue it. Hey, you're a, a cute team. That's a class act, you know. Yeah. And, and that's that's just not going to cut it enough, Alex. When you're talking about De'Aaron Fox, the only time that this team even looked good tonight was on the fast break. They had 28 fast break points. If they could be pushing it a lot more, something what Fox is really good at. I mean, I would love to see that. But, you know, obviously he, he's paid, and clearly, you know, I guess losing is not affecting him too much. Maybe just the money, the checks are making it a lot better. But, uh, you know, I feel like he's the one player the Kings probably, you know, are going to hold on to for as long as they can. Oh, but, yeah. you know, those those – point guards they, the really great ones they just do not grow on trees or come around instead you're kind of stuck with a lot of combo guards a guy who's stuck in between is he a point guard is he a shooting guard and that's it's kind of what we're looking at right now and i just think that i don't know where they really go right now i think you have a bunch of guys that 
you know, basically, if you ask yourself this, we need a basket. Who's who's the guy who's going to get it? And I think that right now we don't really know. We've we've looked to Lavert at times. Uh, you know, against Detroit, he hit a big one. He's missed some other ones. With Sabonis, I feel like it's become kind of predictable. Brogdon, you know, he, he's had his moments, um, but it just feels like you're not like, oh, we're going to dump the ball off to him and we're in good hands. Well, and I'll say this because I we talked about it a lot during the offseason, Chris Paul, and I, and I brought yeah. him up in my article that I wrote, basically just saying, like, they need a veteran leader like that and someone that can be a floor general. Imagine how they traded Victor and Miles for our, for Chris Paul. I know that fans probably would have freaked out about it, but look what he's done with the Suns. I think they're the second overall seed in the Western Conference. Yep, and, and he is a huge part of that. Dude changes him, franchises. Yeah, I mean, you you probably wouldn't have TJ Warren because that injury probably still happens. Yeah, but you if can't you have, that. but if you have Chris Paul, you have Brogdon, you have Sabonis, you have other guys. They would have made more moves if they would have moved on from. Both those guys, you know what I mean? Like, no Levert, obviously, but I feel like that type of move, assuming Warren would have, if Warren would have been healthy with that roster, you know, first of all, you have a point guard that will grow players because look what he did with uh, the Thunder last year, uh, and he's going to give them opportunities to develop. Number two, he's not going to be afraid to tell Bjorkman, quit running your stupid system that's not working with our roster, fix it. And, and <laughs> I think these other guys are just so laid back. They're so young. They're not as vocal. Maybe Brockton's a little bit more vocal, but Chris Paul will just tell you how it is. And if you're losing games like that, he ain't going to put up with it. Where Brockton's more of a guy like, yeah, we got to fix this. We got to do that. Really great team. You know, oh, he's a great rah rah team kind of guy. <laughs> you know, a cute teammate, like you said, Fudge. But I just, to me, I, I think that you need that veteran presence on this team. Someone that's been there before, someone that's really been an all-NBA player for multiple years to challenge this team. I always go back to that early Pacers 90s team that brought in Byron Scott. He was a bench player, but he was a he was a guy that had been a part of a lot of championship teams. He came in there and they changed that culture. You need that type of guy in the locker room. Maybe not as significant as that Chris Paul idea that I threw out in the offseason, but you gotta have somebody that can hold these guys accountable and sometimes it can't always be the coach that is the voice you're listening to. You have to have players be the voice. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, we, we talked about it for, for quite some time. I was saying there is no real veteran presence on this team. We're, we're going to call it Justin Holiday just because he's in his 30s. But come on, there's a big difference between Justin Holiday. no no offense, you know, riding the bench on the 2015 Warriors team that won it all, and then being a guy who's been around the block and contributed, you know, everywhere. I mean, even last year, I was saying, why not bring in Vince Carter just just to have him there? Everybody on this team probably grew up respecting Vince Carter. I know he's retired now, but I'm just saying someone like that could have been another voice as like almost like an assistant coach, and they just don't have that right now. I mean, when when things are are good, you know, you'll you'll have other players rooting each other on, clapping and stuff like that. But when things are bad, it's getting silent out there, and I think that that's where veteran leadership shows. Yeah, Tyler, any thoughts on all this? Yeah, I was thinking one thing that has concerned me recently, and, you know, part of it is the whole COVID thing. We're not able to go to the locker room and, and kind of really hear how the guys feel. You know, have some of those, like, follow-up questions and that kind of stuff. So it's it's more service level on the Zoom calls. So we don't really know how they're really feeling uh, compared to previous seasons. But one thing that is kind of alarming is I really believe that these guys think that they are a good defensive team. Um, I mean, they make comments about, you know, I think it was uh, a couple of games ago, Malcolm or somebody said uh, the reason why we're such a good defensive team. And they were talking about miles. It's like, you're not a good defensive team. No. You're, you're very average. Um, you've taken, you know, a lot of steps backwards in that regard. And what I don't want to, what I want to know is if it's largely the same team. There's obviously a few differences, but why, why can the guys not recognize how, how different they are playing to even make a suggestion to the coaching staff? Like, here's, here's why we were effective last year. Here's why for most of the year we were sixth in defensive efficiency, uh, compared to, you know, 12th, 13th, whatever they've kind of been this year. Um, 
why is that not, why is that awareness not there and i feel like that that may go into kind of what you're talking about as well about the leadership i mean it's one thing just to talk and, and say kind of surface level things and say all the right things to the media um not to harp on brogdon too much but you know people talk about how he had a problem with mcmillan he was extremely high on mcmillan in his postgame com- you know uh comments for much of last season i mean talking about what a great coach he was and how he how calm he is and how we feed off our leader and all that stuff. So hopefully these guys don't just say all the right things. And I really hope that they don't actually believe they're a good defensive team this year. Yeah. And real quick, I mean, if you go back and look, Malcolm actually tweeted congratulations to McMillan when they gave him the extension before the playoffs started. And it was after the playoffs when he went to the coaching staff or the, the front office and said, I want to change. So to me, Malcolm might be a little bit moody. <laughs> I don't know the guy personally. I'm just going off of whatever I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. And what I've heard so far is that him and him and uh, Bjorken have a good relationship. Kevin Pritchard told us on the pod that they have lunch together almost every day. So if there's that level of comfort there, they've got to address things. And I would be I would be concerned too if they thought they were a good defensive team because I think they're worst. They're one of the worst perimeter defending teams in the league. They let guys go by them left and right. They're guarding guys that can't shoot the three, the three from you know five feet behind the three point line. Like, why are you out there guarding Ben Simmons that far out? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, Miles. Um, Miles didn't ahead. hesitate at all when uh, when Tony East asked him uh, last week about the system. He was almost shocked that Tony asked it. He was like, "No, we we don't have a problem at all with the system." And then a lot of fans responded by saying. You know, well, it's because guys get beat off the dribble and then you're there to block the shot. So, of course, you don't think it's a bad a bad system. But like that, that's another example of how quick they are to believe that they're good defensively. I don't get it. Yeah, Miles has had an, an – an, and to me individually, he's had his best career uh, – best year of his career right now. But at the same time, they're funneling everything to him. I mean, sure, he, he is recycling a lot of shots. And he's been phenomenal this year in that in that regard. And he's actually played pretty well on ball defense. And he fits his system pretty well, but the majority of the starting lineup does not. So it's uh it's all it's a lot of different things that have to be changed. But I mean for, for Turner, I mean he's been talking a lot more smack in a good way, like I'm defensive player of the year, look at me, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Like he's giving himself some high praise. And um, you know, rightfully so, I mean he is having a good year, but at the same time I think that uh, before you get defensive player of the year, your team should be better at defense. It shouldn't just be, uh, well, I'm good on defense, but my team's terrible. So give me the award. Like, no, your team should be impacted by your defensive presence, which it is, but it should result in wins to me to win that award. But anyway, Fox, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. I mean, in that instance, it, it is rough that the Pacers went from being a good defensive team to then being, you know, kind of a very subpar defensive team with Miles having you know, his best year. So kind of, you know, could work against him in terms of the voting. But, yeah, I mean, it's just they got to look themselves in the mirror and admit a few things. You almost kind of want someone to just hold a players-only meeting to be like, hey, guys, what what are we doing? You know, what's – what's are, are we going to – are we going to wake up and do this or, or not? Because, I mean, the Pacers now, the five games below 500, I'm at a point where I, I can't envision them getting – above 500 or even to 500, it feels like this is going to be a season with a losing record. And we might be lucky that it's only a 72-game season because it could have dragged on. And in your in your comments about Brogdon, maybe Brogdon's just the kind of guy that always tries to say the right thing, do the right thing. And, you know, even if he doesn't really necessarily believe in something, he's going to support it if that's kind of the rules or, or the authority in place. And maybe that's just kind of what he did in the past with Nate McMillan. You know, we obviously heard firsthand, and it seemed like he was a huge fan of Bjorkman. I'm sure he probably still is, but, you know, a few more wins here and there could make everybody a big fan of Bjorkman again. But for, for now, oh man, Bjorkman's going to have his work cut out for him because the, the fan base is uh, they're ready to come up with a verdict, even though it's a bit too soon. All right, guys, we've chatted here for about an hour about the Pacers, and I appreciate all of you guys for coming on and listening to us talk. And maybe next time you guys will not be as afraid to chime in with us and talk with us. I know we had some nice chats here, but we'd love to 
have you guys come on and hear from you personally. But, um, Fachi, Tyler, anything before uh, we sign off? No, I would just say, you know, hey, we, we got the Timberwolves coming up, a soft schedule, uh, but this soft schedule is going to tell you a lot about the team moving forward. And also, I mean, the health status is up in the air. Are we going to see Brogdon Sabonis tomorrow? I really don't know. If, if they're out again, I'm not feeling positive about that win, and the Pacers do need a win. Tyler? I think I can sum it up in one sentence. Play the kids. Stop being cute. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right, everybody. Make sure you follow us. Where find you? Where can the people find us at? You can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore facci. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. Tyler, tell them where they can find you on Twitter. Twitter is Tyler Smith underscore isl. All right, everybody, and as the Pacers get closer and closer to making the draft lottery, there's only three words we can say to get excited about them getting closer to getting a good draft pick. Let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.